Oh, so, so good to be with you. Happy second week of 2024 across our campuses. We're glad you're with us. Thanks for uh, worshiping with us. Thanks for braving the cold that it's cold. You're at church. You guys are crazy, man. Uh, and man, thank you so much. We're beginning, we're in the first weekend of a 21-day fast. If you're new to Bethlehem Church, not sure, we step in every year. We've been doing it for the past few years to 21 days of prayer and fasting, which is our intentional way to raise our antenna, to intentionally and corporately take a step forward in prayer and at the same time say no to some things in the here and now. That prayer and fasting isn't for the super spiritual, isn't for the pastors, it isn't for the missionaries, it's for the people of God. And that many of you have engaged in that and so uh, when you sense the Spirit of God in worship, a lot of times it's not because uh, the music is great, although it's great, it's because there's a different awareness we have of the things of God when we step into prayer and fasting. Uh, and so it matters in the series. It's called Before All Things. And the idea is as you begin a new year in everything in life, we kind of go, man, I want new, new goals, new rhythms, new disciplines, whatever. And I'm that guy who starts out every year going, I'm going to walk away from these things. I'm going to walk to this thing, call them resolution. And what we're saying is that in the list of all the things, Jesus, your relationship with God isn't one of the things. It is before all things. It is the relationship that invades, that we're not religious people, that we're people who have a relationship with Jesus, and that invades all parts of our life. And what makes that possible what makes that happen in life, what the power of that is, this simple idea that Scripture speaks about, prayer. The Scripture speaks about, so I'm spending a few weeks just kind of diving in, talking raw and real and candidly about prayer. So if you got your Bibles, two places I'm going to take you. Mark 4 and Matthew 26. Mark 4 and Matthew 26. You get your Bethlehem Church app as well. It's in there. Before we get there... Let me take you to my favorite scripture in the whole Bible on prayer. And there's all kinds of passages in the Old Testament and the New Testament on prayer. I'm going to take you to my favorite. Paul writes it. You've heard me pray it over you guys. You've heard me say it here before, but it's my favorite passage, all the Bible on prayer. And Paul writes it in Philippi as he's in jail. This is the prayer that he prays and he gives to us. So Philippians 4, to get us going where we're going, let me read this. Here's what it says. The Lord is near. Again, Paul's in jail for preaching the gospel. He's doing God's work, and they put him in jail, and he still says the Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, what that means, transcends, is when it makes reason and sense to have fear and worry and angst, there's a peace that God gives that doesn't make sense. It transcends that. That if you pray, it transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Now, honestly, in the Bible, one of the things that's perplexing is it often doesn't give us a one, two, three formula on how to fix what situation we're walking in, truthfully. I've been doing this for a long time, right? Been following Jesus for some time. The Bible doesn't give us an ABC. If you're dealing in this, go to Lamentations, go to this chapter here, and it'll give you A, B, C, or one, two, three, and then it's all fixed. All right, that's not the way it works. It's full of truth, full of promises. It's God's word to us, it's God's word for us, 
It paints pictures of God's people, and they find themselves in places like us. But here's where I want you to see. I say all that to go, except in this one passage. Like, this is about as close as you're going to get to one, two. A, B, C. Like, if you do this, then this. In the whole Bible, Paul. What do you mean? I didn't put this in your notes, but here's what Paul just said. Here, I want to say this. Here's what Paul just said to us. Here it is. Don't be anxious about anything. Pray about everything. That's what he just said. You don't want to be anxious about anything. Pastor, that's me. Okay. Well, Paul says then, pray about everything. That anything that overwhelms you. The anything that brings you stress. The anything that's bigger than you can handle. The anything is the everything God wants you to bring to him. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened. Bring it to me. Right? Now, some of us would go, now, Pastor, I know what you're going to do here. It's written in the New Testament. It's written in English, but the original manuscripts are Greek. And you've done this before. So, Pastor Jason, obviously I'm talking to myself here. Pastor Jason, what does the word anything really mean in the Greek, the original? Like when Paul says, you know, anything. Right? What does the word anything actually mean? Go ahead and tell us. Well, here it is. Ready? Brace yourself. Put on your seatbelt, okay? Four years of Bible college. Three years of seminary. Masters of divinity. What is that? Doesn't matter, but I got it, okay? <laughs> Here's what anything means. It means this. Anything. <laughs> it means it in the Greek. It means it in the English, right? Everything means what? Everything. In his book, Pray Like Monks, Live Like Fools, Pastor Tyler Stanton, let me pause for a second. We're going to put up on social media this week a list of reading of books about prayer I read last year, about eight or ten books that I just took my time in my own personal life reading on prayer. We're going to post it. You're like, hey, man, I don't read. Well, you listen to Audible. You can get these books, download it. My favorite of all of them was Pray Like Monks, Live Like Fools, Pastor Tyler Stanton, when talking about this passage. Philippians 4, he says it's so straight forward. Right here, it's here. A, B. You want the peace of God? Here's A, here's B, and then you get peace. That's what Paul said in jail. And Pastor Tyler Stanton says it's so clear, most Christ followers, though, here's the crazy thing, spend far more time with anxiousness and worry than they do with the peace of God. Far more Christ followers, Christians, spend way more time with worry and angst and fear and turning it over in their head again and again than they ever do peace. But yet, this is the exchange, the satisfying exchange Paul is talking about. You want the peace of, of God, pray about everything, don't be anxious about anything. This is the satisfying exchange. And here's what he said, why is it then most Christ followers live stirring and worry and fear and angst way more than they live in the peace of God. And here's what Pastor Tyler Stanton says, and I 1,000% agree. Here's what he says. We don't buy it. Like, we don't buy it. We can say it. We just don't buy it. Well, then, come on, man. I live in the real world. That sounds really spiritual, but it's just not that simple. Church, you know this. You can say something is true and actually say, I believe it's true without ever practicing in your life. He says in his book that he pastors a church full of young adults. We've, I pastor a church full of young adults. Large church, multi-generational, that's where we are. All generations, but there's all, I mean, go to the kids ministry right now. You want to know how many young adults? How many people 
with young kids we have across all of our services. So I'm in the same way. And here's what he says, pastoring the church of young adults. Again, Pastor Tyler Stanton, I don't know. I disagree with what he's saying. He says what he finds is he deals with way more people coming up and talking to him about managing anxiety than he ever gets questions about prayer. What if there's a correlation? We don't buy it. Period. We just don't believe it. Sounds good. What are you saying? Put this down if you're taking notes. You have to be aware in your own life of the gap between praying in theory and praying in practice. If there's anything I've learned in my own life personally, preaching for years, pastoring people, is this. There's often a gap between the answers we give about prayer in church settings and actually what we practice in our own lives. Ooh, man. Let me get comfortable right here. There's actually a gap. There's a distance between the answers we give about prayer and actually what we practice in prayer. In theory... Prayer is the essential act of humans talking to the God of the universe. It's what prayer is. In our increasing post-Christian America, nearly half of the population still says, Gallup Research, nearly half of the population still says on a daily or on a regular basis they practice prayer. Now, that's far more than attend church. <laughs> Lord knows. Far more, I mean, than attend church. What am I saying? You don't have to go to church to know what prayer is. Every human civilization since the dawn of time has prayed, has reached out, has talked to some God, some form of God. We get prayer in theory, but in practice for many people, it's distant. But for practice, it's nice, but is it really necessary? In practice, we're more frustrated at times. In practice, what we think is, does he really hear me or somebody like me? Am I doing it right? Am I saying the right things? Is the God of this universe care about little old me? And so what happens is, because in practice we don't see it, it's not that people quit on God. What happens is we have churches full of prayerless Christians. I'm going to say that one more time. Because I'm in a good mood. It's the last service of the day. You better sit back and relax. I'm kidding. I'm joking. Just relax. I'm going to keep moving. i got a clock on here that I'm not paying attention to, okay? What I'm saying is that because of this, we don't quit on God. I don't have faith. We just ultimately become prayerless Christians or Christians who rarely pray. That rarely pray. We know what it is in theory, but in practice, right? I'm not preaching at you. I'm talking to you because for a number of years as your pastor, I have been way more familiar with angst and worry than I have the peace of God, and I preach this stuff. So everybody get real comfortable because I want to give you two prayer truths. One that I limped into. There's way more truths about prayer than just two. But I want to give you two prayer truths. One that I limped into in my life. I limped into, it took me a while to discover. And one, when I discovered it, changed my heart and changed my life. Two prayer truths. Real simply, I'm going to use those passages. Here's the first one. Right? It's simply this. If it matters to you, it matters to God, so pray about it. The anything, when Paul says anything that brings you angst, is the everything God wants you to bring to him. Right? The anything is the everything. 
Now, I've been disappointed in all types of people in my life. Like, you've been disappointed with somebody like, no, I'm not talking about your kids. I'm talking about, like, somebody has let you down. You ever, like, you've been disappointed by people more than once. Raise your hand. Okay, you're with me. Let me tell you who I've been disappointed with more than anybody, anybody ever. This cat right here. You have too. Why? What do you mean by that? I believe, it took me almost 10 years in ministry, not 10 years following Jesus, 10 years in ministry, being a paid professional Christian. <laughs> right? It took me 10 years of doing that before I actually bought this. Now, listen to me. I would tell everybody, pray about it. But let me tell you the mentality I had in my life. There are some things in life that are way bigger then you can handle, so you better pray about it. But there are other things I got. No doubt there's some things I need to bring the God of the universe in on. But then there's other things I got. Well, give me something. Let me give you something. Well, I can't cure cancer. But I can pray for somebody who has it. Because it's something that's out of my jurisdiction. I know that. Right? I can't console somebody when they lose someone, I just prayed for a lady after the first service. Her husband's dad's dying uh, today. I can't console them in those moments, but you know what I can do? Pray. I can't change your heart. Pastor, you speak to my heart. I don't speak to your heart. The Holy Spirit does. I can't change your heart. I can't change your life. I am powerless to do that, but I believe God can, so I pray for you. I can't make God's Spirit move in your life in this service. can't do it. God has to do this. So there are things I am well aware that are out of my jurisdiction, but there's things I got. Like I, I can handle this, and I can handle this decision, and I can handle this conversation, and I can handle that person. You know what I'm saying? You just let me talk to them for a minute. I can handle them. I can have that conversation. I'm the one that can provide. I can achieve this. I can do this. So there are some things I can't handle, but there are other things that I can't. So on one level, let me breathe here for a second. Sure. Yeah, no doubt God gives you wisdom. God gives you life experience. God puts people around you. God gives us his word. So no doubt there's sometimes make a decision, have the conversation. But here it is. It wasn't the things that I knew needed to be prayed about that were bringing me angst and worry. It was all the things that I thought were small that I had in my control that were taking me out. Uh-oh. It wasn't the big things in life that I knew I couldn't do anything with. Gentlemen in the room, it was all the small things that I had. What was it? Why was that? Was it my self-sufficiency? Toxic masculinity? Right? Right? Pull your bootstraps up and work hard, right? What was it? I don't know, but there was this sense that I had for a number of years. No doubt there's things to bring God in on. You can't do it. But there's a lot of things I got, and what I found was it wasn't the big things that were taking me out when it came to worry and angst. It was all the small things I thought were in my power that actually weren't. If it matters to you, it matters to God. Anything. So pray about it. Mark chapter 4. Let's go there, Mark chapter 4. Let me give you this picture. This is a familiar pet picture, but let me give it to you because I think it sets up the second truth before, let me, let me kind of get to the end of the first truth. On that day, 
When evening came, he said, that's Jesus, let's go across to the other side. Talking about the lake. And leaving the crowd, they took him with, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. So there's a whole group of them going across the Sea of Galilee. And a great windstorm arose. The waves are breaking in the boat. So the boat was already filling. And he was in the stern, which means he was down there, and he was asleep on the cushion while the storm was going on, speaking to Jesus. And they woke him and said, Teacher, Rabbi, do you not care that we're perishing? And he awoke and rebuked. Pause. I just like that word. Rebuked. I mean, I grew up in church. You may got a KJV in this room. You love rebuke then, okay? I mean, that verse, I just, let's say, we'll, we'll come back to that. Let's say it on the count of three. Rebuke. One, two, three. We're going to come back to that. He rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. The wind ceased. There was a great calm. Now, the disciples are worked up. The disciples are stirred up because a storm has jumped on them they didn't see. They didn't have that handy little weather app you and I got. Like, you know, when it monsooned earlier this week, anybody lived through the monsoon here in Georgia earlier this week? Here's the beauty of the monsoon. We knew when it was coming. We knew how long it was going to last, and we knew when it would be gone, right? So we knew that. They had no chance. They didn't know, right? The storm just jumps up on them, and Jesus is asleep, seems to be unconcerned, unaware, or unfazed. So they wake him up, and it says that Jesus rebuked. Again, let's say that word one more time together. One, two, three. What does rebuke mean? To put something in its place. How good is it that we worship a God who can put what he wants when he wants into place? All right, now listen to me. I have rebuked many referees at a football game in my life. <laughs> Anybody with me can confess that? I've rebuked a few umpires in their strike zone in my life. I've rebuked Uncle Sam before when he asked for more taxes than I want to pay. Come on. My CPA is just like, Jason, I'm just telling you is what he said. Well, you tell Uncle Sam is what I want to say, right? I've done that. I've rebuked traffic on 316 before. I mean, how long can we do construction out this way, right? Man, seems like a lot longer. This little thing right here, I don't know if they're ever going to get done, all right? But I've rebuked it. Anybody have kids at an elementary school and gone through a carpool line? Now, listen, we have one here. I'm not saying anything because it's, but I've rebuked it once or twice. <laughs> to no avail. Why? I'm a servant of the circumstances I am. I'm not sovereign over it. But you and I know the one who is sovereign over it all things. So, church, listen to me. Jesus wasn't disturbed by the storm, but the disciples were distressed. Jesus was at peace, He was resting. People have always gone, well, why is that? What if Jesus knew that storm wasn't going to get them? They just didn't know that. I threw that in there for free. I hadn't thrown that in the other services. Anybody ever thought about that? Why is Jesus asleep? Maybe Jesus realized this isn't the biggest storm as they think it is. But here's the beauty of our God. The storm mattered to the disciples, so Jesus moved on their behalf. Church, if it matters to you, it matters to God. So pray about it. 
Not like anything, not just the small, not just the big things, but gentlemen, everything, all things come to him about it. But now let's push to the second truth. You've got to be convinced of that, right? You can live your life saying, pray in theory, sure, but you hold it all yourself. Pray about the big things, but the small things are the things that God doesn't care about. You handle. Pray about it. Here's the second piece. I want you to go to Matthew 26. It's a picture of the Garden of Gethsemane. If you were here before Easter, I preached on this passage. I'm not going to go in great depth, but I want to paint a picture using it. I would invite you the week before Easter this year. I went to great depths on the Garden of Gethsemane in the scene there. You can go back and listen to the whole talk, right? But here's the scene. This is right before Jesus is arrested. The last few moments he's with his disciples. I want to pick up and read this before we get to the second truth. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and they said to the disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. So Jesus is under it. right? He said, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. Here's what that means. Pray. Pray with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed. Again, I'd go back to that message right before Easter. I get into great depth here. Saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup, his death that's coming on the cross, pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And then he comes to the disciples and he found them. What is that word right there? Let's say it together, church. He found them. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me for one hour? Now, this is the only time in the Bible, the only time in the Gospels you see Jesus worked up, stirred up, roused, distressed, underweight. Do you realize that? I don't know how long you've been in church. Go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You will see Jesus sad when Lazarus dies and Mary and Martha are broken. Right, you will see Jesus angry, a righteous anger, when they're selling stuff in the temple. You never see Jesus overwhelmed, stressed, under it, roused, under the weight, right here. And so he looks at his disciples and goes, fellas, pray with me. Help me. This is Jesus saying, I'm under it. Will you help me? And he comes back and they're sleeping. Hmm. So we ask him again. Can you not just watch me? Just one hour. Second time, this is, I'm going to kind of speed this up. He came and found them. What's that word there, church? Again, for their eyes were heavy. Man, I know, they were tired. Their eyes were heavy. Those disciples been under it, you know. And then again, he asked them one more time. Let me pick you up. Here's what it says the third time. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. Here's what that means. Guys, this is big. You're missing it. So pause. Let's put the pieces together. Let's do the math. The next two minutes, if you'll hear me, it'll change everything for you. Do you remember the time in the boat? Everyone is freaking out because there's a storm. And I remember what I just talked about four minutes ago. Do you remember that? Right? While everybody's freaking out, while Jesus is sleeping, well, now, as the real storm approaches, Jesus is stirred up and his disciples are taking a nap. Here's the difference. 
The stark difference between Jesus and ourselves. Our desires, our concerns, our weight, our problem, our pressures. Jesus is gladly will step into the midst of them. But when Jesus is stirred, when Jesus is roused, when Jesus is overwhelmed, when Jesus' heart's heavy, I wonder how many times you and I are sleeping. Taking a nap. Church, you got to believe this. Prayer truth one. If it matters to you, it matters to God. So pray about it. But here's the second truth that changed my life. If it matters to God, what matters to God should matter to us. What matters to God, what stirs God should stir us. If it matters to our God, should it not move us? We desire, we want, you wouldn't come to church on a Sunday if you didn't believe it. Somehow there's a God who's out there and we hope that he is propelled forward by our prayers. That's what we want from God. Good. Right? That's part of it. We want God to intervene when things are happening in our life. But I wonder how much we're stirred by what stirs the heart of God. Church, prayer truth one. If it matters to you, it matters to God, so pray about it. Prayer truth two, if it matters to God, should it not move us? Both of these things happen in prayer. We share and he shapes. Both happen in a life of prayer, right? In the boat, the disciples were startled. They were stirred. They did not see the storm coming, and Jesus brought peace. In Gethsemane, Jesus knew the storm was coming. He pleads with his disciples to be with him, and they took a nap. Church, does what matter to God matter to you? Well, Jason, I, I, mean, I think so. I want it to. I hope it does think, I mean, like when you're talking about matter to God, doesn't everybody matter? Like, what do you say? Let me give you a few examples of what matters, what stirs God's heart. Lost people stir the heart of God. Luke 15, the prodigal. Jesus looked at them and he had compassion on them as sheep without a shepherd. Jesus never bemoaned the state of society. Do you know that? Jesus never said, you guys are fools. Rome, the government, you guys are fools. Y'all are a mess. Y'all should just get what he never did that. He was broken. Like sheep without a shepherd, he had compassion on the culture he was called to minister to. You know who bemoaned society? The Pharisees, the same people who crucified Jesus. All right? Jesus was broken. Jesus himself said, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, it's the sick. Church, I want to say this because this is the heart of Bethlehem Church. You're going to have to get more and more comfortable with this in the days ahead. We did not come. Jesus did not come to coddle insiders to entertain Christians. He came to reach outsiders. That's the heart of our Father. He cares. Lost people aren't a nuisance because they don't share our same values and are corrupt in our kids. God's heart breaks for the lost and so does ours. All right? What does God care about? What stirs God's heart? Here's one. The marginalized. What do you mean marginalized? The people who live on the fringes of society, especially in the suburb of America. 
the least of these, those who don't have a voice, those who don't have a seat at the table, those who society casts down, those who society overlooked, they matter. Those who are easy to ignore in the hustle and bustle of life, the poor, the outcast, those who don't have a voice, God's heart is stirred. Let me say it this way, and you feel free to send me an email when I say this because you think I'm saying something I'm not. I'm not going to respond to it, but I'm going to say this, right? What I am saying is, what do you mean by the marginalized? Those who don't have the privileges you and I have had. What did he say? You heard me. I earned what I got. I built what I got. What if you got a chance somebody else didn't? You ever thought about that? We got this sentiment sometimes that sits in us. Somehow we figure things out. God, help us. Don't let this political cycle ruin your minds. We're not people of this planet. Our kingdom's a whole different place. Listen to me. The marginalized matter. Those that society forgets about, we should be drawn to. God's close to the brokenhearted. Like the psalmist says, he's close to those who are crushed in spirit. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. What do you mean? When people, when the choices people make has ruined their life. Their life's in desolation. And it's because the choices they've made again and again and again and again. The addict. And again and again and they've wrecked themselves. God is not in heaven with his arms crossed going, man, I wish you would figure things out. You get what you deserved. He is close to the brokenhearted. He is close to the brokenhearted church. He moves in and toward them. The Lord is near. You know who else? James 1 says, pure and undefiled religion cares after the widow and the orphan. Like, what do you mean widow and orphan? That's not a metaphor. That's actually that Psalm 68 says he's the father to the fatherless. He's defender of the widows. Like those who have lost someone they love and those who've never had someone love them, God is close to both. And so should we. Jeremiah 17, (laughs) Jeremiah 17 says this, that our heart is deceitful above all things. That's what the Bible says about all of us, me included. Our heart is is deceitful above all things. Let me tell you, there's a lot of different ways that works. But you can think you care about something you actually don't. That's what that means. You go, oh yeah. So I'm not talking about theory. These are just a few examples here. I'm not talking about theory. Listen, church, I'm talking about in reality. Do these things move our heart? What does it look like for our heart to break? Let me give you an example. How many here at Christmas Eve? Where are you here? Christmas Eve service, Bethlehem Church, you came to one of our services. Right? Only 10 of you. Good. There's a whole lot of people. We're glad the rest of you were here. Somewhere there was 9,000 people. I don't know. Must not have been this crowd. Okay? But at Christmas Eve, you got a glimpse of our fostering and our adoptive community here. We have a growing fostering and adoptive community. These are people who work nine to five jobs. These are people who have real lives and real burdens. They're not super spiritual Christians. They're just Christians. And their heart was moved by what moves God's heart. They cared for the orphan. They opened their home. In fact, only one of these out of this group that I sat down with was a pastor. I want you to hear what it looks like to let your heart be stirred, let your heart be moved by 
what moves God's heart. Take it away the rest of my interview with our fostering and adoptive community here at Bethlehem Church. You guys get me caught up. How long have you been opened your home? Uh, how long has the Simpson home now been uh, open for fostering and, and uh, what you guys are doing? One year. So we started last December. Okay. Um, and what was the prompt? Um, the prompt was I was a foster kid, mm. um, which eventually led to adoption. Um, you know, and, and uh, you know, we, t we wanted a sibling group because um, I was a sibling group that got split up. So okay. our, our, my objective was is to keep a family together. So, and, and as soon as they opened our house, three hours later, we had four kids <laughs> in December. You know? Last year. <laughs> Last year. <laughs> we were like, what do we do? <laughs> so, scrambling, they, and they showed up, and it just kind of fell into place, mm. you know? That's good. Um, it was hectic for a little while, but... yeah. You know, Lord gives you what you need when you need it. So our home's been open since July of 2020. Okay. Yep. Uh, right there at the brink of COVID. And um, the prompt really, you know, since we've been married, uh, we lived with his grandfather for a while. Um, and then we had our own children and sort of felt the orphans and, and widows uh, message yep. of, you know, um, we lived with an orf uh, with a widow and took care of him for a time, and um, now we are serving in the orphans and welcoming in them into our home. What James talks about in James 1, 7, pure and undefiled religion is taking care of the orphans and the widows. And so we stepped into it, and uh, it's honestly just we felt like a calling uh, to do it. Yeah. Um, I think everybody in some way, in some capacity is called um, to either foster or support right. foster children, adoptive families, um, and there's multiple ways to do that. And I think as, as followers of Jesus, um, we're all called to do something. And so for Teresa and I, that something is opening up our home uh, to kids from really hard places and loving them and serving them uh, the best we can. Yeah, that's awesome, how about you guys? Nine years ago, we started with the foster care training. So we, we started that and then wound up got our call for um, our oldest. So an adoption, a private adoption. Hmm. So we've been open for nine years. We've adopted three, we have four total. Um, our last baby has special needs. So that's been, that's been fine. And um, so, yeah. Um, I really think God teed us up uh, for that year because that year of 2020 sure we that was our word for our family was obedience yeah, yeah. Um, when she came to me and told me you know that she's really feeling like God laid it on her heart about fostering um, I'm like let's do it mm. let's do it um, and since then I mean it's it's had ups and downs of sure. course uh, but it's truly has been a blessing Talk to me about all of you guys, just that, what does love require? When you open your home, what is, what is it, what is this, instead of going, boy, this would be great just to meet a need, but it actually requires something of you. Your kids are not the only ones that matter to Jesus, and yeah. these children matter. Jesus died for them just as much, and their parents. Yeah. 
their families just as much as he did for us. And so keeping that on the forefront of our brains as we do this and love them for as long as we get to. Just a complete overhaul of how you think. Um, I mean, seriously, um, we were set into this pattern where it was just her and I and our 17-year-old who stayed up in her cave all the time. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and then, so we get these four kids and at 11.30 at night, and, and they're just like all over the place, and we're like, what did we sign up for? Yes. <laughs> they were running up Why and down the stairs. <laughs> and we were like, ah! So, but then, but then, you know, it's like, it's like we fell right into place. You know what I mean? Um, and, and we knew exactly what we had to do. Yeah. And it was different than what we were doing. And it, it required way more time. Yeah. I mean, way more care. You know, I mean, you know, we had to set schedules again. We, I mean, we were... I mean, we, we just fell right back into parenting, you know, like, like we used to, and it was awesome. I've had to learn that, that that little baby or that, you know, preteen or teenager is not mine. It's not their mom's, it's the Lord's. Like, no amount of the sacrifice that you make ever, like, outweighs the blessing, the joy, mm -hmm. the love, and the faithfulness of the Lord to meet you there every single time. Yeah, that's good. So I've seen, I mean, in 10 months, more miracles than like I can count. This is an exact picture of what the Lord did for us. And I'm like, it is no different. We are adopted in Christ. When you partner with the Lord, like he will blow your socks off. How good is that, right? <clears throat> I love what Caitlin said. If you will partner with God, let me fill the parentheses here. Let your heart be moved by what moves his heart. He will blow your socks off. He will meet you there every time. Church, I'm asking you in your own life. This is between you and God, not me and you. Does what move God move us. Listen to me, not theoretically, but in practice. Do we actually care? Right? I love what Teresa said. More than just my kids matter to God. Church, parents, listen to me. I got three of my own, so I'm with you in this. But can I remind you, praying people of Bethlehem Church, more than just your kids matter to God. Grandparents, with a smile on my face, more than just your precious little snot-nosed grandkids, matter to God. But if we are not careful, our prayers become self-preoccupied. It becomes that. Not everybody, listen to me, take a deep breath. Not everybody's called to foster and adopt, but everybody's called to help. Like the widow and the orphan is not for a segment of our population, it's for the people of God. In fact, there's so many around this church across our campuses that have taken a step forward. And sometimes there's just this sense of, like you hear a message like this, and there's just so much brokenness. There's just so much need. How can me and my family, we can't do everything. No, you can't, but you can do something. Right? We all can. And so the reality is my encouragement to you. This is just an example, but for some of us, we partner with some organizations. There's a little barcode coming up on the screen, specifically fostering adoption. Listen, I'm going to ask you, right, to, to kind of scan this. This, don't worry, four kids are going to show at your house tomorrow, okay? 
This is about us going, what can we do to come around this community and support them? For some of us in this room, God's been on you because you and your husband, you and your wife have talked about this and you put it off and you put it off. If you will scan this, all this does, doesn't commit you to anything, but it helps us all take a step in how to come around this community. Church, in Barrow and Walton and Oconee. Three places we pull from the most. Do you realize if the people, if 25% of our church took a step forward going, how can we help? How can we support? We could wipe away in a month kids without a home. All right? That's an example. But what is it in your life? What's close to the heart of God? Does it move you? Listen to me. End with just simply this. If it matters to you, it matters to God, so pray about it. Anything and everything, not just the big things that you would learn, that we would embrace, not just to say this in theory, but to practice it with our life. And the second part, what matters to God should matter to us. Both of these things happen in prayer. So I put at the bottom of your notes as we close this simple little paradigm, this simple little graph that has helped me. Just a visual when I think toward prayer. Like, I share. Paul says, pray about anything that I take it to God. My petitions, my prayer requests, I share what's on my heart. My grief, my struggles, my praise, my thanksgivings, I share. That's a part of it. God, here's what's happening in my life. Here's what's happening in my heart. This I am saying, I am coming before you. The Lord is near. Tell him that anything is the everything. If it matters to you, it matters to God. But here's the second part. And in the midst of that, God shapes. It's the cycle. Because listen to me, as you put this down, I'm going to say this with a smile. Most people live right here and never get to here. We are very self, not preoccupied people. We are self-preoccupied people. And there's no place that's exposed more than in prayer. My concern, my pressures, my problems. Here's the good news. Don't feel guilty about them. Bring them to God, but don't stop there. What does this look like? Here's the prayer I pray. It's a dangerous prayer, so I wouldn't pray it. God, break my heart for what breaks yours. I am telling you, you're busy people. We can nod at what breaks God's heart, or we can actually let what breaks God's heart break ours. It's a surrender. It's an invitation. God, that help me see that person the way you see them. I have to pray that. You can look at my prayer journal. Help me see that person. I am owning God. I see that person as an idiot. I see him as a fool. It's the way I see him. But I know you don't see him that way. God, help me see that person the way you see them. God, give me a heart for the lost. Some of you are like me. You were raised around church. You've been a Christian all of your life. You don't even know what it's like to be lost, so it's hard for you to have a heart for lost people. I have to ask God, God, give me a heart for the prodigal. Give me a heart for those who are far from you. If it matters to you, church, it matters to God. So pray about it. But what matters to God should it not matter to us? Will you stand with me? Let me pray across all of our campuses. Nobody leaving. Just kind of lean in here with me. Prayer teams, if you're part of our prayer team, go ahead and prompt you with head bowed, nice clothes. If you'll make your way toward the front. We end every week with prayer teams. 
This is our way of putting into practice that actually we think prayer is what changes people. And so our prayer teams are not made up of our staff. They're people in our church that pray. People I trust that pray. So as prayer teams begin to make their way front, everybody's head bowed and eyes closed. I just want you to, listen, can I say this to you? Some of you, you need to be reminded that God is close to you and whatever mess is going on, the Lord is near. And God's not up there with his hands crossed, standing back, going, what in the world? Did no, 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 he's close to us. Some of us realize that it is God seeking you. God pursues you. I'm not asking if you got religion. I'm asking if you trusted God. His gift of his son, Jesus Christ. That Jesus reveals to us a God we can have a relationship with. And that for some of us, we need for the first time to step into relationship. That God is not distant, the Lord is near, and it's in the person of Jesus Christ. And we need to trust him. Our prayer teams are down here. Where you're standing, you can simply pray, Jesus, I'm choosing to trust you. I'm choosing to follow you. Forgive me of my sins. I can't save myself. Would you pray that right where you're at? Just say, he knows your heart's pounding. And some of you right now just think, Jesus, I, I trust you the best I know how placing my faith in you and I'm choosing to follow our prayer teams are here I'll be in the living room at the end we'd love to talk to you our worship team will be up here any of us would love to talk to you pray over you here's the second part will you pray just this week God break my heart for what breaks yours we're not gonna well, that's not something we want to in theory the people of God should care about what God cares about but in practice, it becomes real and we step into experiencing the heart of God. Will you pray that? God, that you'd break my heart. God, the people in my life, that I would see them as you see them. Not as I see them, but as you see them.